change the world, change the world. Oh, yes, we can. We can change the world. We can change the world, change the world. This is the Santita Jackson Show. everybody welcome welcome to the santita jackson show getting a little bit of feedback here it's good to be with you today on this day january 23rd cannot believe we're almost in the month uh january 23rd monday january 23rd 2023 on the 26th of january wcpt my home station from which i'm broadcasting now will be uh hosting a mayoral debate with all of the nine candidates. You don't want to miss it. It'll be uh, displayed live on all of our platforms. Joan Esposito, Patty Vasquez, and yours truly, Santita Jackson, will be moderating this debate. And I want you to be there. I want you to be there. Many of you won tickets last week. That's exciting. You'll be there. Lunch begins at 11. The debate at the forum itself begins at, uh, at 12 noon. It's going to be something really special. This is the season for elections. Yes, still the season for elections. Yes. The top, if the candidates do not reach 50%, the top two candidates will be in a runoff on April 4th. But early voting begins on Thursday, January 26th. So please, everybody, get out there and vote. Don't let 10% of the people decide what 100% of us have to live with. Please. <laughs> get on out there, everybody. Get on out there and do your thing. You know what you need to do. You know you need to get out and vote. Uh, let's get to some of these headlines, because today we're going to be talking about President Biden and his growing woes with respect to these documents that the uh, FBI continues to find on his properties at his home. What does that mean, these classified documents, even dating back to the Senate days when he was on the Foreign Relations Committee? Does it matter what documents have been reported and have been heard about anything else? Uh, Ukraine and Iran. I mean, we are engaged with them. Of course, the UK is an ally, but, but Iran and, uh, and Ukraine is an ally. But Iran, hostilities, and it's an international conflict. So, is, are there any connections? We've got a lot to talk about today. And we did that this year. And then, of course, at the top of the hour, the mayoral election in Chicago, which is of tremendous consequence. Cannot wait to hear your thoughts. And I want to know from you who you got in this race. Do you, have you made up your mind about a, um, about a candidate? Call me, text me at 773 763 9278, 773 763 WC. PT, and I want you to meet me and my morning stars on WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station, and AM 950 radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. Meet us on the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel and the Santita Jackson and Friends Facebook page. Now, for sure, for Reverend Jesse Jackson's page. Poor God, right? Carol Thompson, my sister out there from another mister out in Beverly Hills. Carol Crowley. Sending you much love, Renata and Miss Robinson, Cuckoo Shirley from beautiful Philadelphia. Monique, how you doing? Joyce, sending you all much love, Miss Darlene, Mike, all of you, Paula Bonjourno, my sister, Darlene, you making a lot of comments this morning. I love it. Joyce, Barbara Bacon out there. 
in Oak Park. And so much love to all of you today. So please come on and join us. D-Ray, what's up, girly girl? Um, join us today. And I want to hear your voices. Call me about this mayoral race. 773-763-9278. In Chicago, we are going to have a high of 31 degrees. It will be partly cloudy. In Minneapolis, 34 degrees. It will be cloudy. Well, everyone was waiting to see what this rematch, what this rematch was going to mean with uh, the Bengals and the Bills. Well, the Bengals were triumphant. Twenty. 7 to 10, 27 to 10, blessings to them and continued blessings to DeMar Hamlin as he continues to make this remarkable recovery. But he's still on oxygen, everybody. So, you know, think about that. Think about that. He is still uh, moving toward becoming healthy, sending him much love today and sending all of those teams because they were clearly traumatized by that by that event where they saw him essentially uh, just stop breathing. Just, just you can't, you can't make this stuff up. But uh, congratulations to them. The Bengals will be meeting Kansas City on January 29th on their way to the Super Bowl. Somebody on February 12th. The 49ers are triumphing over the Cowboys 19-12. to Now the 49ers will meet the Eagles on next Sunday. Who will be going to the Super Bowl February 12th? We know Rihanna will. Which of those teams will? Call me, text me at 773-763-9278. Let me know who you got in the Super Bowl or in these playoffs, in the the championships. This is where we are. In the NBA, the Timberwolves will be facing off against the Rockets. The Atlanta team will be facing off against the Chicago team. And in the NHL, the Kings 2, Chicago 1. A tragedy out in California. A 72-year-old man has been confirmed as the person suspected of carrying out a deadly mass shooting on the Lunar New Year, celebrated throughout uh, the Asian world with our brothers and sisters in that world. And they they have events in Monterey Park, California, that gather 100,000 people, more than 60% of that town, of that city, excuse me, are Asian-American people. And um, the shooting left 10 people dead and 10 others injured. As the city's large majority Asian-American community was celebrating the Lunar New Year, the New Year of Hope. God bless them all. President Biden, of course, offered his condolences to the victims on Sunday and ordered flags to fly at half-staff at the White House. The IRS will start accepting 2022 federal income tax returns beginning today. Of course, you have several months to send in your documents before the April 18th deadline, but there may be a few things you can do now to increase the amount of your refund or reduce the amount you will owe. I'm going to bring someone on who might be able to help everybody with that. The FBI found more classified materials at President Biden's Wilmington, Delaware home on Friday. The discoveries have emboldened congressional Republicans and have rattled some Democrats, including Senate Majority Whip Dick Durbin, who agreed that Biden has, quote, lost the high ground, close quote, in criticism over classified materials. Even Joe Manchin said he should be embarrassed about this. So what do you think is going to happen, everybody? We're going to be talking about that at the bottom of the hour with, Joe, with Robert Tillo and Dwight McKee and Kevin Lampy and Reverend Jeanette Wilson. So stay right there, everybody. In the meantime, we've got the pastor of the Douglas Memorial Community Church in Baltimore, Maryland, of course, from Rainbow Push, and a brilliant lawyer, theolo- excuse me, theologian and scholar, uh, Reverend 
Dr. Todd Geary Esquire. If you add any more handles, I think I'm going to run out of breath. But I love, love, love your thirst for knowledge, your thirst for knowledge. Good morning, and what is the good news? Well, good morning, Antita. I'm, I'm glad you've given me a justification for my thirst for knowledge. So uh, it's probably making folks close to me cringe that I might actually find something else to uh, to study. But uh, good to be with you. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Uh, happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. It's been a while, but I hope you're off to a great start, uh, as are your listeners. The one thing that what's been going on is... I think uh, the the president's handling of classified documents, we should just go ahead and call it file cabinet. Just show them the whole place where you've got all of these documents and stop pretending that it's just one here, two there. Uh, Just go on and show them everything that you've accumulated over the years and we can get this behind us. But I digress. I'm here to give good news this morning. Let's go ahead and get to it. Good morning. I'm not paying attention. We're going to shut him off. Devin, cut him off. <laughs> Good morning, Chicago. Good morning, Twin Cities. It's your Monday morning wake up call. Go ahead, get up, get up, get up. Wake up, put your feet on the floor, feel the coolness come back at you. It's time to get moving because you're in the game. That game is called L I F E Life. Go on and fill your lungs with air. Take a deep breath and appreciate that you're still in it. Go ahead and get that morning beverage going, that morning gel, that orange juice, and don't forget that water. Got to stay hydrated as you get ready to fulfill your purpose on today. Uh, Since it's been a while since we've been together, I figured I'd just go ahead and act as if it's the beginning of the year all over again and talk a bit about how we start the year as if we're taking trips. Now, Santina, the older I get, the more I like kind of taking road trips. Once upon a time, I hated being locked in the car for several hours, but now having the flexibility of being able to pull over from time to time and stopping as I need, I sometimes like taking road trips and taking in all of the scenery. But in many ways, life is like a road trip. Yeah, it's like a road trip. Uh, sometimes we start out with a goal, and, and that goal is our destination. We might call it destiny. And when we plan and prepare for the trip, it feels good. We're excited about the pursuit and, and the, the reaching of our destination. But it doesn't make the journey easy. Sometimes while we're on the way, we find ourselves becoming anxious because either we've not reached the goal, we encounter some difficulties along the way. And I'm going to date myself right now. Years ago, when we would take a road trip as a family, my parents would get ready to go. They would call AAA and they would get what would be called a trip tick. And the trip tick would have the segments of the journey and it would show where construction might be found and where you could find places to stop. The problem with purpose is it doesn't come with the trip tick. And sometimes we have to set goals and make plans, but we also have to endure struggle and the challenges of in-between. And sometimes when you realize that as you get started, you run into difficulties, you have to find the courage to keep on pressing. I want to talk to you to give you to say to you, keep pressing. Don't give up simply because you encourage difficulties. For the Star Trek fans, remember the motto, we are boldly going where no one has ever gone before. That's called purpose. And remember that God's work is as much about process as it is about completion. And so keep going. God promises that we would never be left alone, that God will always be with us. And so we're always in process and making progress. So don't give up on your dreams simply because you've run into some difficulties or it appears you haven't reached your goal. 
keep pressing and believing that what God has for you is for you, you will get there. And guess what? There are no mile markers on the road to purpose. You just got to keep pursuing, keep believing. And guess what? You've come too far to give up now. Believe that God's perfect work and perfect will will be completed in your life. And I promise you, you're going to get to that place called purpose and you're going to change the world. So go do it. You're one step closer. I'm rooting for you. I'm cheering for you. I'm excited for you. And I can't wait to see what God's going to do with your life. That's the good news for today. I'll talk to you soon, Santita. I can't wait to have you back again this week. Of course, he's also a practicing attorney, so he's got to get to court. <laughs> but I'm so grateful to you because guess what? There's something great in store for you, but you got to hang around in order to make that happen, everybody. For those people who are really in difficulty, who are looking for some solution to a temporary problem, remember the National Suicide Line is now very simple. It's 988 pass it along, everybody. Sending you much love, Pastor Todd Geary. Pastor Todd Geary sending you much love. We've got Dr. Shanina Knighton, infection preventionist, registered nurse, PhD, college professor. She does it all. She's the head of the organization that is the largest gathering of epidemiologists and infection preventionists in the world, and we are so honored to have her here with us. Um, I want to know what we are what can you tell us about um, becoming healthier? I mean, how can we become safer from infection? Um, you're not someone who, you, you say, wait a minute, let's, prevention is, it's just like the old folks used to say, what is it, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure? And you continue to tell us about um, practicing uh, really sound hand hygiene, uh, and the things that we need to do in terms of our diet. And really, um, so we can be as helpful as we can be so that if the storm does come. I mean, I had I had a physician tell me that if you get COVID, given your, your immune system, you're going to die. I said, now, that's not what you're supposed to tell me. <laughs> you're supposed to tell me how I can really get my, chew up my immune system and chew up my health so that if the storm hits, I can handle it, Right. Or, or is my approach off? No, that's exactly it, Santina. I think that's one of the things that, you know, we rarely, I was going to say, or rarely discuss. And unfortunately, we live in a reactive society opposed to a proactive society, meaning that I'm not sure if you all had a time where you took a vitamin, right, or you did a certain exercise or you was reading a certain book or you was just doing something right out of habit and you stopped that habit, right? And when you stopped it, you didn't realize that it was really working for your favor because in your mind, you wasn't seeing any benefits, even though benefits were happening. Have you ever had that um, experience? Hmm. You know, it's, it's, I, you know, I, I have to tell you, I was rather stunned when I was told that, and I was angered by that uh, because I said, you know, yeah, because you know, because my mother would say, "But if you got a and she sent you to bed, <laughs> you know, so she said, right, clearly, but you know, that like if you have vitamins or if you take something, I, I guess what I'm getting at is you don't notice that something is really helping you until you don't have it or until you stop taking it. And that's what that analogy is, meaning 
I might have been reading a self-help book, and the minute I stopped reading that book and life started happening, I needed to go back to my book. Or I might have been stressed out and stopped exercising and like, oh, I need to get back to my exercise. Because you might not have realized the benefits of it until you stop doing it. It's the same exact thing right now as we're trying to prepare ourselves in the midst of cold seasons and everything else. We downplay the value of hand hygiene because for us, we can't see the pathogens floating around in our environment or the fact that somebody might have had a cold and their droplets touched our hand. So that is the problem. It's us being able to be preventative and not feeling like we need to be faced with danger in order for us to do practices that ultimately can keep us safe. And so that's what my message is today is when I'm bringing up the habits of the good habits. So habits, effective habits, just having good habits without expecting any reward because, you know, over time it's going to be something that's going to keep you safe without you needing to do any extra work if you're doing it correctly. It's like having car insurance. You don't need car insurance every day, meaning you don't use it every day, but when something happens, you have it when you need it. Your hand hygiene should be like that. Maintaining an adequate immune system, which means eating your grain, leafy vegetables, and everything, that is why it is important, and I look at it as insurance to your body. So your vitamins that you're getting or nutrients that you're getting through your food is insurance for your body. Hand hygiene, practicing it properly is hand hygiene for your body. Uh, when we talk about masking in crowded places or unknown places where you don't know people's status, it's considered your insurance. It means that, no, you may not be able to understand whether or not you would have COVID, but guess what? If you end up with it, then you can say to yourself, maybe my symptoms are going to be less severe because I actually put insurance inside of my body via my health, my nutrition, via exercise, sleep, all of this. I, I made sure that I cut back on smoking or quit smoking because I know that this is respiratory and I want it to protect my lungs. So it's like what pretty much, what kind of insurance are you pretty much putting on your body is how I would describe it because it's not that you need it right then and there, but it's do you have it when you need it. Can your body protect yourself if you were to come in contact with COVID? Can your body protect itself if it was to get a combination of COVID and pneumonia or COVID and flu or COVID and RSV? So it's just an insurance for you. And that's how I look at health. And so that insurance is much different than, I would say, the pharmacological approach of that's going to be the reactive treatment of something that's trying to essentially keep you safe after the harm has already been done. Mm. Mm. So what... How can we change the conversation, the narrative? I've got about a minute left. How can we change the narrative or grow the narrative around infection prevention? Because, you know, if you look at the television, every other commercial gives you a medicine to prevent you from getting this, or if you're feeling this, you ask your doctor about that, and it's like, wait a minute, I think this is a little off here. Well, that's the thing, and I mean, I hate to say it, but something is all, it's a symptom being treated with a symptom is how I describe it. And I know that meds are great, I, you know, meaning like, yes, 
you know, I am a firm believer in a higher power, and I know that some of that stuff is here because people need symptom management. So I'm not going to bash the pharmaceutical place. I just know that there are more than one way in order for us to be able to get to a solution. And I know that there are helper ways, okay, meaning that it might be a combination of meds and health. But the thing is, is that emphasis is not there. The the work is not there on what people need to do individually. And right now, yes, where we do live in a place where all foods are not healthy for our bodies and for our immune system, it makes us more cognizant of asking ourselves, if I'm putting ingredients in my body that might contribute to cancer or another thing, which is a thing, then it's like, stop, how can I stop putting those ingredients in my body so I don't have to require medicine that's going to stop me from having to treat the symptoms of the cancer? Hmm. You know, I, I thank you for that. Because I, I think that we've got to have another approach. We have to approach, we have to know that wellness is possible. Not just know that illness is treatable, Right. No, we've, we've, got a, we've got some changing to do, too, some growth. Everybody, I want you to go to Hey Dr. Nina, at Hey Dr. Nina, at H-E-Y-D-R-N-I-N-A, and follow this brilliant, brilliant infection prevention, brilliant scientist. And um, get some practical advice. She, takes you, she even has a video that shows you how to wash your hands, everybody. It's fabulous. I just love you, Dr. Nina. Everybody, let's talk about what's happening with President Biden. Mm. Uh, how will, what will be the fallout? You now have Dick Durbin. Oh, wow. I'm saying, Senator Dick Durbin, he's saying, you know, off the, off the high ground here. You've got Joe Manchin saying, should be embarrassed. That's, uh, Boy, people are raining in on him on both sides of the aisle. I want you to call us at 773-763-9278. And then at the top of the hour, we will be talking about the Chicago mayor's race. January 26th, WCPT, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station, will be hosting all nine candidates in a forum. Joan Esposito, Patty Vesquez, and Santita Jackson. Yes, right. Yours truly will be moderating it. You don't want to miss it, everybody. Back with more of the Santita Jackson Show in just a few minutes. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show. I want you to call us at 773-763-9278, So, Darlene, that's the number I repeat all the time. So call on in with your comments, and please make it brief, because we have a lot of people who want to weigh in. Right now, we're going to be talking about President Biden, President Biden and his mounting troubles. It turns out he's getting a lot of criticism from the right and the left, from Democrats and Republicans, uh, about these classified documents that are being found at his home. Um, And it turns out, you know, presidents clearly carried them home, but he also has documents from his days as a member of the Foreign Relations Committee when he was in the U.S. Senate. So that's another set of questions. But indeed, President Obama has documents too, but he has the power to classify or reclassify. 
Why don't we look at the nature of his documents as well? Why don't we look at all of these documents that have been top secret at one time that leave the campus, if you will, of the Capitol and end up in private libraries? I mean, just how safe are we? Let's, you know, talk about that, everybody. Let's talk about that. Do we have Shapiro up, Devin? Okay, well, you know what, Shapiro, we're going to call you in a little bit, and I want you to call us at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT, and um, let's talk, and uh, Darlene, I want you to call in, keep calling in until you get through to us, because, you know, we've lost a, a couple of lines, but, you know, let's first talk about President Biden. I mean, indeed, you had um, the number two man in the Senate. Dick Durbin, uh, the senior senator from, senator from the great state of Illinois, our state, who said mm. he's lost, the president has lost the high ground here. Senator Manchin has said he should be embarrassed. But that's coming from the Democrats. Wow. So what do you think about that? And it has emboldened, further emboldened, the Republicans who now want to investigate. They said, now hold on. Look at what you did to uh, President Trump. Now we want to know what's going on with you. And it's a back and forth, a back and forth. But the principle is, for me, what about these top secret documents and that are constantly classified and reclassified? How is it they leave um, the secure spaces? That's one of the questions we have, but I think we need to look at the political fallout here because this is a big, big deal. We, of course, have Kevin Lampy, a brilliant political organizer and um of course, master of all things political. He and Kitty Kurth, his wife, Kurth Lampy and Associates, nationally renowned political strategist. And we have, of course, Dwight McKee, who predicted all of this would happen. So did social scientist Robert Patillo's back with us. Yay! Rainbow Push. And, of course, WAOK radio host in Atlanta. And, uh, we have, let me see who else we have got here. Oh, oh, who else? Who did I miss here? <laughs> I knew I've got Reverend Jeanette Wilson coming. So, you know what? Let me start with you, Dwight. You said that this would be a really, really big deal. And it seems that instead of uh, evening out, that this is becoming a bigger issue by the day. Dwight McKee. Well, the Democrats made it a big deal in their quest to use this as a pretext to take out Trump. They set a precedent that now they are the the victims at some levels or the recipients of. I said six months ago that when you sow the wind, you reap the whirlwind. And if they set this precedent, it will be hard for them to uh, overcome their own standards. And so what you're seeing now is a situation where uh, having made this such a major issue for Trump and Biden being caught in the same situation, now the Department of Justice can't help but look even-handed, and so they have to put the same energy in the pursuit of an understanding of why Biden ended up with these classified documents as they were forced to have to deal with Trump. 
in his situation, it is just a matter of reciprocity and be careful what you wish for. Mm. Everybody, what do you think? Kevin Lampy, your thoughts about this? You know, it, the, the problem is for, uh, the problem is for us in this situation is it's a, the difference is how two leaders approach the problem. All right. Mm-hmm. Biden's team was reviewing documents, and as soon as they found documents that shouldn't have been there, they then did what the proper procedure was and reached out to the Department of Justice and, and reached out to make sure that things were starting to go back and they would be, continue to do their search and make sure the right people with the right security clearance were in there to do the search. Then the Trump team, they kept saying, no, 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 we don't have them. And then they were given every opportunity to return them, and they returned some, and then they were they were ballistic in saying, no, no, there's no more. And it, it got to the point where uh, it's kind of like when you when you, you know when you're late with a, a a library book, all right, and you realize you have it and you take it back. But the Trump people said, you know what, we don't have any, and we're not giving them back, and you're not going to have to be able to look for them. And it, that, that's where the distinction is. And it is, you know, you're, it's. You know, I, I, I will, will, will grant it. You know, it is not good that they have these documents. But when the documents are discovered, the right thing was done. Um, this is always the problem that, 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 that Democrats have in, in situations where they, they so quickly lose the moral authority because they put themselves so high up on a, on a pedestal about moral authority that they then have to be twice as, twice as good as anybody else. And that is always a problem. Can I respond to this? Yeah, you can respond, but I wanted to respond. Okay, well, hold on. Let me let Dwight respond, and then you, uh, then you respond, Reverend Wilson, and then you, Robert Patillo. Dwight, very quickly. If you kill somebody and confess and and tell them where the body is. Or if you kill somebody and deny that you kill them and they find the body, is that less the crime? If the crime is killing somebody. And I keep hearing Democrats talk about how Biden, once he was discovered, confessed to the crime. And that has nothing to do with the fact that he has, in many ways, done the exact same thing Trump, Trump has done. And again, we've gotten, this is just procedure. We haven't gotten the content yet. Once we get the content and see which documents have been stolen, that's going to kick this thing up another notch. Jeanette? Well, I think a couple things. Uh, In that murder case, that fictional murder case that you described, the issue as to whether or not I confess or I deny and say I'm not guilty will go to the mitigation if you're found guilty at the end. If you if you go ahead and admit to it, your the impact of your sentence perhaps will be lessened. In this case, the questions that I have, and most of us don't know, we were unaware of documents leaving uh, the secure locations. It never occurred to most ordinary people that these people are moving papers around, putting them in the home, and and then uh, locking them up in garages or in um, 
in Mar-a-Lago resort places. So the issue is who can, who has the power to classify documents A, and who has the power to remove documents from uh, the governmental offices to private personal locations, and under what conditions does that happen? Who has oversight over all of this? If I'm the president, if I'm the vice president, and uh, I've, I've looked at something that the Brennan Center suggests that there are layers of classifications, layers of people who have authority and who determines what is top secret and under what conditions can uh, international information uh, be removed from secure places within uh, the governmental administration. And so there are, there's a lot of layers. And then the question is, why am I taking this stuff home? Why did I have to remove it unless it's something that perhaps involves my decision or some member of my family? These are the kinds of questions that are now arising as we look at this issue. It's not, it's not as much about they move the stuff from one location to the other. It's what is it that they were moving and how does that endanger uh, the United States government or any of its officials? And I think... Uh, Biden now has a problem because he screamed and he was so horrified at what Trump did. Now you've done the same thing. And whether whether I uh, I admitted to it early on or I got caught, we're still finding documents in Biden's garage, which is uh, interesting to me. Why didn't he get it all at one time? If you want to admit from that his, I've committed a And he was vice president and senator. So everybody seems to have access to a lot of these documents. And I'm not sure that who's the oversight. You know, in in the city of Chicago, we have an inspector general. You have an inspector general at other places. So I want to know who's the inspector general over documents for the United States government. And Mm, we get into trace this stuff back, and it's like, who who was lax in each of these cases, and how many other situations? If if Biden has documents, what other United States senators have documents? What well, other I mean, and government officials? Who, I mean, I'm with you. Who has the documents and why? I mean, because now they're saying, yeah, okay, Obama has them. Well, the president classifies and classifies. So it's like when they did this with President, former President Trump, I said, but they all do this. And, I don't know, Robert Pacello, your thoughts on this? Well, in uh, a couple things. One, uh, one of the things that is working against Biden is the length of time that he's had these documents. Because Trump can at least say, you know, I had these documents for a year. Uh, Biden left the Senate Armed Service Committee 15 years ago. And some of these documents have been sitting around his house for a decade and a half. Uh, he hasn't been vice president for six years. Those documents have been sitting around his house in the garage of his Corvette uh, for half a decade. Uh, it's one thing to say, well, I admitted it once I figured it out. But the bigger question is, well, what has been going on with some of these documents in the last 15 years? 
Uh, then once we get to the content part, if you don't think Republicans are going to connect this to Hunter Biden's laptop, particularly if any of these documents involve Burisma or Ukraine uh, or the prosecutor there, etc., uh, this will be this is going to snowball as most political scandals do. They start off small and then it begins as a land deal in Arkansas and then it turns into Monica Lewinsky's dress. That's just the nature of these investigations. I think that this will be the uh, the Cassius Belli that re- Democrats use uh, to shuffle Biden out the door for 24. Uh, many progressives have wanted a new uh, candidate even before Biden's winning streak uh, last summer. Uh, many people on the left in particular feel that they were uh, left out in the cold and betrayed by the Biden administration, particularly on that infrastructure deal where they disconnected the uh, human infrastructure bill from the fiscal infrastructure bill by working with 13 Republicans in the House in order to get that pushed through. And and, and this will be the uh, kind of the beginning of Biden not running for re-election. Republicans will start hearings on this uh, very shortly once the DOJ finishes their investigation. This will be the base of the Biden impeachment that Marjorie Taylor Greene has said she wanted to do already. They just needed a reason. And what we really have to start doing is figure out who is going to be the the nominee in 2024 because this will be the reason that Biden doesn't run for re-election. And the fact that they uh, continue to come out in a dribble that they didn't get this all out at one time after the first documents were found uh, at uh, the Penn think tank getting everything out at once. Well, now it's going to really increase the scrutiny and going to be the reason the Republicans are able to impeach Biden. Mm, what do you think, everybody? Call us at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. Kevin Lampe, please respond to what you just heard. I mean, this, is this is this the cause of ally to get the, the reason that they will be able to get Biden out the way? Because now, you know, you know how this works. You know, when when it was time for Nixon to go, the senior statesman from his own party came to the White House and said, "Hey, game game over. You got to get out of here." Okay, now you got Dick Durbin, and okay, you got um, Joe Manchin. This is an embarrassment. These people don't just get out here and say things, Kevin. You know how politics works in politics at that level. This, these folks, this is coordinated. Mm-hmm. Am I sounding like Boomerang and Eddie Murphy? But you know what I mean. You know it is. Well, you know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to disagree. It is not any opposition to Biden. Any opposition to Biden is, is based on personal agendas as opposed to people who are actually talking to each other. Um, I, I, I sometimes wish people would, that, that people in power actually talk to each other as much as we think they actually do. Because if they actually did, things would move much more quickly and move much better for the country. But everybody's working their own personal agenda in the moment, deciding what is going to be best for them at that point in time, as opposed to, you know, Joe Manchin and Dick Durbin are talking to each other about how can we go after Biden. They're protecting their own territories and, and their own positions within the Senate. And I, I, I just, I, 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 I get frustrated because, you know, I mean, I'm, you know, I've, I've been out there on the, on the far left myself, but I also realize that for government to work and for things to happen for the, for the American people, you know, I firmly believe in my heart that, that liberalism is the best course of life for our country. 
but I want to be able to stay on that course. And we sometimes, we have this problem where we, we, we put our leaders up there and we're so anxious and we put them way too high up on that pedestal and we're way too happy to knock them off when in fact, when in fact it defeats what we really firmly believe in our hearts. Oh, I hear you, but you know what? I've, I've been. In, but let me just say this because I'm not coming into this as someone who's naive, and I know you're not accusing me of that. I'm someone who's been in the room with the, where the most powerful people discuss. <laughs> I mean, and they have and they have long range plans for us. And I know when people are getting taken out, we've seen it, we've lived through it. And so when I'm looking at this with President Biden and this, you know, this assault from the left and the right, I'm like, okay. Well, going on here because it just doesn't you know that's just that's i've lived it kevin i've seen it i mean and these people do talk a lot more than we know publicly they do or they talk to other people who help to make things move i just there's just something going on here but i think that the overriding concern that i have as an american is how are these top secret documents walking off of out of secure areas what are they doing in your house what are they doing in a storage facility in the south suburbs here in Chicago for the for the Obama Library, which is where the library actually is? We're not going to get that in Chicago. We're getting a center for their foundation. I'm like, what, what's going on here? I just, I just want to know wh- how how safe are we with top secret documents floating around, floating around. I think, Santina, we're not really safe. As you look at the rules that govern the classification of these documents or the declassification, Trump is correct. The president does have a power to classify and declassify certain documents. There's also shared power between the Congress and the president as it relates to documents. And there are certain departments, like the, the Department of Energy has authority over the nuclear uh, documents. When I think about all of this, it reminds me of uh, I watched Watergate as a child, and I didn't understand it fully. But that this is the kind of uh, situation that a president can find himself in or herself if you ever get a female where you've done some things that uh, are, as they would say in old Shakespeare, untoward, and now they're coming to light. And so I do think Biden has a serious problem uh, to avoid impeachment, which I think he may not be able to avoid given depending on the nature of the documents that he has. And and like uh, Robert says, most attorneys, you don't leak stuff one one piece at a time. You try to have one big, this is everything, as opposed to just keep dribbling out a document today, a document tomorrow, which makes it appear that you are now scurrying around trying to hide or you're trying to cover up, as opposed to say, these are all the documents I have. And that way the uh, the investigator can review them and determine if there's a security risk to the United States, if there are some things that um, that person has done which would cause harm to the country. or And so now you have a situation where this can go on and on and on, and as the dribbles come, uh, each side... Of the uh, of the Republicans versus Democrats, you're going to have each side raising all kinds of questions and concerns, 
which may help one side or the other. And it, it is it's like political football now. Well, you know, I mean, my question is, will it, will it help the American people? Hold on. i got to bring up Darlene, who's called in real early, <laughs> Wilson, from Nevada this morning. And I invited you to call in, Darlene, because you've been making a lot of comments, and I wanted you to have your say. you got about a minute and a half. Make your comments. Wonderful, wonderful to hear your voice. So glad to hear you. Thank you so much. I mean, you know, for our people, and when March of 20 hit, our children were on the streets saying Black Lives Matter. We're still not talking about it. All that money sitting in the Department of Education here in Nevada because they refused to follow the guidance for Title I. What are the federal regulations and who's actually following them? It's our understanding that in America we are free and we have a right to free and appropriate public education, but why is it that our children are not making it? And when we try to discuss this issue, at a level where they should be discussing it at the state level. We're not talking about the children who are not making it. Yet and still, when tragedy happens, there was a young man who was in his 30s, hit his child so hard here, five-year-old, that the child hemorrhaged and died. And the black community is not talking about that. But we should be talking about it worldwide. What has happened in America where our young people do not understand that children are valuable, they're the gifts. And we're not taking care of them. We've allowed them to fail. What Nipsey said was that the world has changed and has dramatically changed. We have access to all of the same resources and to what they should be doing locally, as it is the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment that gives us the right to have a citizenship. But you lose that when you go to the penitentiary. And they're putting our children in the penitentiary far too early. So thank you so much. It is just a different conversation. And we cannot afford to talk about papers because we don't even know that the government is the government. We elect in different officials to represent us. But the laws and the rules should not change in the middle of the stream. What well, happens? Very quickly, I need you to. I need you to. I need you to put a bow on this. So, your point in your comment is what exactly? Is that as the people, it is us that should have the conversation as to how many three-year-olds will be prepared to enter into early start as the laws have changed mm-hmm. already. And well, you know what? You know what, Darlene. When, when my brother, when my brother Jesse uh, was in Congress, Cong- former Congressman Jesse Jackson Jr., he crafted several amendments to the Constitution. One of which was the Education Amendment, because as he combed the Constitution, because he's a trained, he's a trained lawyer, he saw certain protections that we did not have, including the federally protected right to vote. And so he crafted an amendment for that, and he crafted an amendment for for education for each child to have, for every American to have equal access to equal high-quality education, because that is not an encoded right. It's not. Remember, the original, America's business is business. Start, I mean, that's, this, was, this was a colonial project from the Spanish on forward. This has never been about we the people. We're the one, we the people made it about the people. The fact is, uh, most folks... People were not supposed to get the right to vote. We, we just did not matter. The monarchs and the oligarchs had a fight. The oligarchs won, and they replaced the monarchs, and this is where we've been. You're right. We're going to have to fight to make America what America is supposed to be. What America is on paper, we need to make it what it's supposed to be in reality. Love you, Darlene. Thank you for listening, and thank you for that comment, and thank you for being so provocative. Everybody, let's talk about Chicago Bears race at the top of the hour on the Santita Jackson Show. 
This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. Monday, January 23rd, 2023. WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station. And AM 950 Radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. It's a joy to be with you today. I want you to meet my morning stars. Hey, Yvonne, Latina voice. Latino voices matter. Love you, girl. And Darlene and Linear Bob and all of the morning stars on the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel. And the Santita Jackson and Friends. Facebook page. I want you to meet us over there, and I want you to meet us on all of these platforms on Thursday at 12 noon. WCPT will have a mayoral forum. All of all nine announced candidates who have made the ballot will be with us, and Joe Esposito, Patty Vasquez, Santita Jackson will be moderating this panel. It's going to be very, very exciting, and um, I think we're going to be able to ask questions and get answers that you need and deserve. Early voting begins on January 26th. The voting itself begins and ends on February 28th. And if no one gets 50%, we will have a runoff April 4th. So the latest polls are showing that um, Paul Vallis is number one with 26%. Tui Garcia, 19%. And the incumbent, not even 10%. What's going on, everybody? We've got a tremendous panel to talk with us about this. Reverend Attorney Jeanette Wilson, Reverend Jeanette Wilson, Esquire, uh, Kevin Lampy, brilliant political uh, political strategist and manager of campaign, and Dwight McKee, brilliant social scientist, and Robert Patillo joining us today. We're so glad from WAOK Radio down in Atlanta and Rainbow Push in Atlanta. Got a lot to talk about today. I want you to call us at 773 773- Seven six three nine two seven eight. Now you need to call in too. And Darlene, thank you for calling in from Nevada and for your concerns for all of our children in Chicago. We're going to have a high of thirty one degrees. It will be partly cloudy. Minneapolis, St. Paul, thirty four degrees, cloudy. NFL. Everyone was waiting on the Bengals. Oh. Bills game. Well, the Bengals are triumphant, 27 to 10. They will be facing off against Kansas City. Who's going to go to the Super Bowl? After next Sunday, we should know. The 49ers will try umphant over the Cowboys, 19 to 12. They'll be facing off against the Eagles this Sunday as well. The Super Bowl, everybody, is February 12th. Cannot wait for it. The Timberwolves will be playing the Rockets tonight, and Atlanta will be facing off against Chicago. In the NHL, the Kings, too. Chicago won. Everybody, everyone is talking about President Biden and these documents. We will be talking about that. We just spoke about that. If you want to hear this conversation that we had about it, these comments from this tremendous panel, please go to WCPT820.com, WCPT820.com forward slash Santita, so you can hear the show without commercials. How about that? In the meantime, uh, we're praying for the people of Monterey Park in California. That is a community that is more than 60% Asian American and Asian immigrants, our Asian brothers and sisters. This is their Lunar New Year. 
a year of hope. And a 72-year-old man, a member of that community, has been confirmed as the person suspected of carrying out this deadly mass shooting in which 10 people were killed and 10 others were injured. Um, it turns out that this community, uh, more than 100,000 people show up for some of the events in Monterey Park, California alone, everybody. This alleged gunman, uh, that's what they're calling him, had once been a regular presence at the studio where he committed the killings, where he is alleged to have committed the killings. Indeed, the suspect was found dead with a self-inflicted gunshot wound inside of a vehicle after a standoff with the police, praying for the people of Monterey Park. We still don't know what happened. President Joe Biden offered his condolences to the victims on Sunday and ordered flags to fly at half-staff at the White House and other federal buildings. The IRS will start accepting 2022 federal income tax returns today. Of course, if you have several months to send in your documents before uh, the April 18th deadline, you need to get some tax tips so you can find out how you can um, increase the amount of your refund. I'm going to get some people on, I promise you, who will be able to help you to talk about that. And then the FBI found more classified materials at President Biden's Wilmington, Delaware home on Friday. The discoveries have emboldened congressional Republicans and rattled some Democrats, including Senate Majority Whip Dick Durbin, who agreed that Biden has lost, quote, the high ground, as he put it, in criticism over classified materials following the latest search, the DOJ took, quote, six items consisting of documents with classification markings and surrounding materials, some of which were from the president's service in the Senate. And those are just some of the headlines on the Santita Jackson show. Let us get to the Chicago mayoral race. It is a race of tremendous consequence. We made history four years ago. First African-American woman, first openly gay person. Of course, we have gay, we've had gay mayors before. But she boldly, uh, with great integrity, said, this is who I am. This is who I am. And uh, she's a former federal prosecutor, brilliant woman, and she has been struggling. Indeed, in this nine-person race, it doesn't look like, according to some polls, that she will even make the runoff should they have one. The latest polls show Paul Vallis at 26%, Chewy Garcia, the congressman, at 19%, and Brandon Johnson polling quite strongly just behind uh, uh, Congressman Garcia. And then the mayor... A little bit over 9%. What's going on, everybody? What is going on? And what do you foresee? Who do you have in this race? Call us at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. Want to get your thoughts on this race, everybody? Kevin Lampy. I want you to go first because you have been um, these polls... You know, fully disclosed you and I talked last night, and I said, "Oh, I just saw this poll. Paul Vallis is atop the polls. What? No one's really talking about him. Everyone's talking about Chuy Garcia and Brandon Johnson, and they should, and the mayor, and they should. But it's almost like he's a sleeper candidate, Kevin Lampley. Well, you know, it, 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 the, the challenge is 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 when you look at at a at a field that is so crowded at as this field is. You need to take a look at the numbers in a, in a, in a different way. If Paul Ballas is at 25%, um, that means 75% don't want him. They want somebody else. 
and so we, we sometimes then when we look at this, we're like, oh, we, we, we're, we're, we're giving too much to what, what he says. And I have, I have lots of problems with, with Paul Vallis' message and his methods. But the, the point is, um, if this was a two-person race, Paul Vallis would still be at 25%. You and think so? Give another option. I think I absolutely think so. I think he is appealing to such a small portion of the population, and that population, I think he's reached his ceiling. I don't think he's going to get more than twenty five percent, if possible. But then that means that seventy five percent is against him. Seventy five percent is against him, and because he's running this campaign that is full of dog whistles, that is calling out, he's running a law and order campaign. In fact, I'm thinking about nicknaming him Paul Bernie Empton Dallas now because of the way he's approaching this campaign. Oh, Bernie Empton, ouch. Dwight McKee, your thoughts. Because you were here in 1983 when Bernie Empton almost became the mayor. Bless his heart, bless his heart, bless his heart. While he was in the psych ward, everyone knew that he was a man who was in profound mental mental trouble. I mean, he's mentally ill. And yet, because of um, the racial politics and racism, quite frankly, endemic in the society, he almost became the mayor against Harold Washington, Dwight McKee. Yeah, I, I don't think that Paul Ballas is going to stay at 27%. I think that they're going to peel off some of that law and order crowd uh, as some of these other candidates emerge. Now, the advantage he has is that it's going to end up a two-person two race because it's going to be a runoff race, and he may end up in the runoff because he may peak at maybe 20% because there's so many people in the race. Uh, so he may have a two- or three-point advantage over some of the other guys running. Uh, and... But I think that if 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 one or two of these guys can consolidate and um, and develop a real base of the constituencies that have been unspoken for, I think they can give him and uh, and Vallis a real, I mean, and Chewy a real run. The advantage that Chewy and Vallis have is they have. Bases that are already pretty kind of predefined, the Hispanic base and the kind of the white ethnic base. Uh, Lori has lost a lot of her base, and so she's kind of down at ten percent. But if somebody can emerge to go get the progressive white base and the activist black base and the Asian base which has basically been, been unspoken for, then they can put together a nice little a nice little run. I can see how either a uh, Sister King can go and, and do that, or Brandon, I think, has a real shot at that. That plus labor, I think, gives Brandon a nice shot for that. And I think Sister King has the charisma and the range that if she gets exposure, she can make a nice little run for this. If she can consolidate those bases that are unspoken for 
20% who have not even made a, a decision of who they want to bag. Hmm. What do you think, uh, Jeanette Wilson? Well, I think several things. I question who who's been, who has been polled and who's being polled in these pollings. I have never been polled. And I think I have uh, a base of people that I relate to. And uh, so I question the polls. I do believe, however, that uh, Vallis does have a solid base of white ethnics uh, in Chicago, which is a large base of people that I'm sure are looking to restore Chicago to the years that, that they had with the Daly uh, family. However, as, as I look at each candidate, you know, you try to figure out, as Dwight has indicated, who's their natural base and how strong is that base. This reminds me of, as you remember, and I'm sure Dwight and uh, Kevin remember, years ago when we were trying to uh, keep the mayoral office after Harold died, Mayor Harold Washington mm-hmm. died, we had the same kind of division. And you could not get uh, people to understand the, the the power of the mayor's office is far more important than individual ambitions. And what we were fighting then as African Americans in this city, where we were a significant uh, power base, voting base, we voted overwhelmingly for Harold Washington. Upon his death, people didn't understand uh, how Sawyer became mayor, only because the city council had the uh, had the legal right to select the next mayor until the next election. I I feel that we have divided ourselves as African Americans, so that no one candidate who's black can say I have the majority of black people. That's a problem. I think Chewy does have his base of Latinos and some progressives, I suppose, because he's, he's touted as a progressive candidate. The mayor has to, as I see it, she has still has the, the bully pulpit to at least say, this is what I inherited and this is what I have done. No one else can do that. And if she could communicate that kind of messaging it would turn this whole thing around because everybody else has to speculate about what they would do if elected. She can say what I have done since I was elected, what I had to do to overcome all of the things that occurred prior to my administration. They keep talking about closed schools. She hasn't closed one school. That was Rahm Emanuel and Mayor Richard J. Daly and under Paul Vallis, schools were closed. And so these are some things that others can say without being attacked, because I'm not running for office. I was there when uh, schools were closed without any regard to the community. When they closed the State Street Corridor, and you and I know this, it was designed because people who lived in the suburbs wanted to come back to the city, and that whole State Street Corridor was 10 minutes from downtown. They said, we're not going to allow CHA properties and poor people to continue to occupy prime real estate. And so there were some great decisions made by developers to transform and gentrify the city of Chicago. You could look all around the areas. The West Loop was not the West Loop. It became the West Loop as young, urbanly, upperly mobile white people decided to live in the city. 
And so they took and created a whole corridor. And I think these are some of the things that need to be brought out. I, I, I know most of the I know all of the candidates, as a matter of fact, and each one of them have great strengths. And so the question is, who can win and who can do the best for the people of the city, the citizens of the city of Chicago? And that's the real question. You know, all of them are brilliant except for one or two, they have, they have a role to play in this city, and they need to, we need to be able to sit down and say, all nine people don't need to be running. You have a right to run, but is it in the best interest of the, of the people? Mm-hmm. You have a right, but is it right? Call us at 773-763-9278-773-763-WCPT. I know you're not a Chicagoan, but you know what? The Chicago race, Robert... Um, has national resonance. It has national implications. I mean, everybody, I mean, Harold Washington's win was a win for all of us, right? Um, when Karen Bass won in L.A., she won for all of us. So what do you, what do you see here? Well, I think uh, if you look at this from a macro perspective, uh, in the last probably four or five years or so, we've had this uh, entire generation of black girl magic uh, mayors, uh, as uh, as you would. So there'd be that Keisha Lance Bottoms in uh, Atlanta. You had um, uh, the mayor in Baltimore. Um, you had Contrell in uh, New Orleans. Uh, on down the line, more like for the Chicago. Now, I think the one pervasive uh, uh, line that we've seen are the battles between these women and their police departments in those cities when trying to institute police reform. A big part of why Keith Lance Bottom did not run for re-election is the police turned against her uh, after the Rashard Brooks killing in uh, Atlanta and trying to hold those officers accountable, as well as the Spellman and the Morehouse student who were tased by police, and the mayor tried to hold them accountable. If you look at what happened in Baltimore, uh, it was very similar. We had a battle between the mayor and the police department, who ultimately ended with the mayor there uh, going down in a, uh, a scandal about writing children's books uh, that resulted in her having to uh, resign, and then uh, I believe was uh, currently uh, under indictment, uh, which led to a new mayor there. Uh, we've seen the same thing happen in New Orleans with Contrell. We've seen the same thing happen in uh, D.C. with Bowser. We've seen the same thing happen with Lightfoot in Chicago. So we have to figure out what needs to take place in order for police departments to respect black female mayors nationwide because we see this happening in every city uh, where any efforts at police reform that are taken, particularly by black female female mayors, are uh, met with an extreme rebuke by police unions or police departments. Um, because of that, they allow crime to spike, uh, which results in uh, races such as this, where you have their, uh, or where there's a very low chance of the winning. They either resign or uh, don't run for re-election. So we need to start holding these police departments accountable for their petty actions and their lack of accountability. Here we are three years after the 2020 uh, revolutionary summer that we saw, and still no meaningful police reform on the national level. Still over a 1,000 people were killed by police in 2022, the same way they were in the year 2020. Uh, and until we can get that under control, will be very difficult for any of these mayors uh, to have the type of progress that they expect for their communities and for their constituencies. 
773-763-9278. Remember, WCPT will have our forum on January 26, 2023, this Thursday, starting at 12 noon. You don't want to miss it. Joan Esposito, Patty Vasquez, and I will be moderating it with all nine of the candidates who will be on the ballot. Back with more for Santita Jackson show in just a minute. WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk, where facts matter. We can change the world, change the world, change the world. We can change the world, we can change the world, change the world. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Oh, boy. He had the conversation of life over here on the Facebook page, on the Santita Jackson Facebook page, and on the Santita Jackson YouTube channel. I'm Santita Jackson. WCPT, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station, Chicago's. Oh, that's right, Progressive Talk. This is my home, as is AM 950 Radio up in Minneapolis, St. Paul. It's a joy to be with you today as we are joined by Kevin Lampy, Dwight McKee, Reverend Jeanette Wilson, Esquire, and Robert Patillo as we talk about this Chicago race in advance of the January 26th, this Thursday, um, debate. Well, well, it's a forum. It's a mayoral forum. All nine announced candidates who have made the ballot will be um, at the Morningstar Theater. Get it? Morningstar, I love it, everybody. That's right, across the street from Daily Plaza. Lunch begins at 11, and the actual forum begins at 12 noon. We're putting a lot of energy into it. Cannot wait for you to uh, tune in and let us know what you think. It's going to be fantastic. But, Jeanette Wilson, succinctly, if you could, because I want everybody else to jump in here. You wanted to make a comment, and I wanted you to be able to make it on the air about Willie Wilson, about Dr. Willie Wilson, the, the philanthropist and businessman who, um, who won all of the black wards um, in 2018, who's become a force in Chicago politics. Jeanette Wilson. Well, I think that people underestimate the power of the candidacy of Willie Wilson. He, his ability to organize and mobilize people strategically all across this city in the pockets of need and misery, he's able to communicate to a base that many candidates have overlooked and uh, have really, um, they don't expect much from them. Willie Wilson is what preachers uh, would tell you, if you, can't, if you can't communicate with Aunt Jane, who's sitting in that uh audience each and every Sunday. If you don't reach her, I don't care how smart you are, I don't care how much paper you have, you haven't won the base of people that are sitting there. And so you have to target the least of these if you want to be a good communicator. So I think that uh, we have over overplayed uh, one's educational background and one's oral communication skills and have missed the people. And so Willie has a base of people uh, that he has, is able to turn out and turn on. And so some of the other candidates could learn a lot from him. I think that uh, he ha he's a force in this race. I'm not so sure that he will make the runoff. I do, however, think that people should not take him for granted and shouldn't count him out. Daly, late Mayor Daly, could not talk, but he ran this city 
and they called him boss. He had organized Chicago into these 50 wards with 50 ward commitment, a whole structure. I see Willie Wilson doing some of the same kinds of strategic organizing across the city of Chicago. Hmm. So, Dwight, what do you, why don't you respond to that? Because you've lived through all of this, and you've organized this was, as well. I was saying that between Willie Wilson uh, from the last election and Willie Wilson now, he got most of the black, is six more candidates now. He has to share those votes with. He was a leading opponent last time. He was virtually running by himself against the mayor. Now he has to share those same votes six ways, and so he don't he don't have the same consolidation of power that he had before. Now, if he was running himself without those other six candidates running, I would venture to say that Willie would maybe the lead in this, or at least I'm certain he would probably make the runoff. But the issue now he has to deal with is how does he then consolidate or extract a base from five or six other candidates who themselves have their own little constituencies that they've subdivided, how does he prevail against that is the question I would raise. Well, help me out. How is it that we ended up with basically one white candidate, one Hispanic candidate, and 50 black candidates? Somebody? Anybody? We do that every every time, Santita. We don't understand power. We we get into the ego. I can run. I can beat this. I can beat the incumbent. Or I can beat this one. We don't understand consolidation. Latinos understand power, and certainly white people do. You have to have a solid base of your people, your constituents, whoever they are. And this is what happened with the Sawyer Tim Evans election. Mm-hmm. Daily ran up the middle. We divided our votes. We we divided our votes, and uh, as a result, we lost. We lost the city. We lost the jobs. We lost the contracts. We lost appointments of boards and commissions. And we don't think about that. We're running on our personal ego. I, I'm smarter than. I need, it's my turn. And as opposed to looking at where we fit in the scheme of things and and mm-hmm. negotiating on behalf of the citizens, mm-hmm. six candidates, I mean, seven candidates, that's crazy. It's plantation politics. I'm going to be the favorite. It's not helpful. But, you know, because the thing is, when I when I see black people run Kevin Lampy and and Dwight McKee and Reverend Wilson and and Robert Patillo, and I don't it's all skin folk ain't kin folk. Okay, so I'm not I'm not into I'm not into that. What I'm into is someone who sees it. It is your it is how you see life. One of the reasons I love Dennis Kucinich so much is because he has been homeless and he has lived with his family and large and many, many brothers and sisters in a car, and he has never forgotten that. And when he was mayor of Cleveland and when he went to Congress and when he's run for president, he has run on that experience, on that mandate, and I love him for it. You being black is not enough for me. My question is, do you see life from, what does Reverend say, the manger up or the mansion down? That's my question. That's right. 
So, I mean, so all of this, all of these 50 million people running, what, I mean, saying almost the same thing. I mean, what, 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 what? And now you got Paul Vallis who's doing these dog whistle politics who I think, and if, because Dwight is the first, it's only two people going to be in the runoff. Only two. The first, the, the people who poll the highest. That's it. So, I mean, Paul Vallis could conceivably be in that runoff and he could become mayor. It could happen like that. It could. I think we skipped past Robert's point about how the police departments across the country treat women, particularly women of color, who are mayors. When this mayor came into office, Mayor Lightfoot, she had to have a U.S. marshal provide her protection. But if you look at the FOP across the country, they've attacked mayors and they have attacked the black uh, uh, state's attorneys, whether it was Baltimore, Chicago, all across the country, they're under attack by the police departments. It is no accident. And no that one calls them out. Up. And no one calls them out. No one calls them. I mean, but look at what happened to, to Bill de Blasio. That's the same thing happened to him. When you come in with a progressive, when you come in, and, and this is a white man, okay? And when he became mayor of New York, oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. They, they're the ones who ran him out of office. That's what they, they well, did that. Anybody that and, you, and you have to wonder about anybody that's funded by them. What does that mean in terms when when uh, Lampley talks about dog whistle politics, this dangerous mm-hmm. politics, because this is a military force that's saying we want to run the city of Chicago. And that's the thing that we all have to understand. Who is, who is Right, and, and Reverend Wilson, uh, he has a great point here. I want to jump I jump off of this. Is is FOP and and their their power, their political power within the city of Chicago? We have an opportunity. There are these police district councils that are all people are running for election right now, and FOP has poured money into these. And I, as I travel around the city for the various clients I'm working with around the city, and I, I, I whenever I get approached by one of these people running for the police district, I ask them, Is FOP behind you? Or, or are they against you? And what we're fi- what I'm finding is there's FOP is trying to control these police districts, and that defeats the entire purpose of having these citizen bodies that are a check on the police department. And so I encourage people to actually go out and look at and find out who's running in their neighborhoods to represent them in these police accountability. They're, they're an accountability boards, basically, and they need to understand that, that we, need to, we need to hold FOP leadership and it's the FOP leadership that's the problem. It's not the rank and file police officers on the street that most most of it's the it's that leadership there that's causing the biggest problems and we need to make sure that they're they don't elect the whole layer of government that is just friendly to the leadership of the FOP. I mean, because Robert Patel, you made the point that this is a national problem. I mean, we have the military industrial complex who run our federal government, but they essentially run our local uh our, lo- our localities. I mean, what are we going to do about that, Robert Patillo? Uh, 
well, it's gonna it's gonna take support for these mayors who tried to uh, and these prosecutors who try to institute police reforms because we see it every single election cycle. Uh, politicians get elected by the people with the idea of reforming the police system, where we can have a fair and just police uh, policing apparatus that both protects uh, public uh, public safety and public health, while also to defending the constitutional rights of individuals not to be harassed and beaten by police. They institute very reasonable reforms. Police do police slowdowns, police sickouts, early retirements. Uh, in Atlanta, they did the thing where they weren't responding to any calls except for officer down calls. Uh, because of this, crime then goes through the roof. Uh, the public blames the politicians. Uh, the Republicans hop in from the corner sniping, uh, talking about defund the police. And then those all, well, politicians are run out of office in that election cycle. And police know this is how it works. They know this is what happens. And this is how they prevent any even most marginal form of police reform from taking place. And it's going to take the public standing behind these political leaders who are trying to institute police reforms uh, and not running them out of office as soon as there's any pushback from police, demanding that officers actually do their job. And then that is uh, that is how you get the type of reform that we need. But people, uh, the number one issue in every single local election is always going to be public safety. Uh, and very closely after that, followed by economic development and education. And if you can't keep the public safe, then it's going to be very difficult for you to be in office. Why, Nikki, what are your thoughts? I mean, the FOP, they they run this place. Yeah, but they don't have to. They run the place because they are 80, 78% from one ethnic group, and they stay in basically five communities. And if the, police, if the, the mayor, whenever they get involved, and do win, if they would reform their police department and put in more community representatives from the different communities, Hispanic community, Asian community, black community, and balanced out the police force, then they wouldn't be so formidable because they'd be much more attached to the community than to their own ethnic group and their own power structure. And so you have to blame those mayors that we've had in office who succumbed to police pressure, who didn't reform the patronage of the police department when they had a chance to, uh, and the fire department. I mean, guys like McCain uh, put together lawsuits to try to break open and won the, 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 the rightful blacks and, 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 and other groups to be included on these police and firemen uh, forces, and yet there was never any real follow-up with the administration because once they got there, then they conformed to the the status quo. So in many ways, you have to you really have to make a calculated effort to increase uh, and to augment the the the, the, the structure of those different police. Uh, and firemen union and bring in more community-based based, uh, participation so that one group is not so dominant in that. A group that's, that's, that, that for years have been a, a, a community that for years have been 40 to 50 to 60 percent uh, and if you include the Spanish community, maybe 70 percent minority has been dominated by, uh, have only been 
five to ten percent of the entire police force and has been dominated by one or two ethnic groups who live in about five wards. Kevin Lampy, what are the questions that the voters should be asking, particularly as we're coming into these debates, um, into these fora? What should what should the voters be looking out for? What should they be demanding of these candidates? They, they need to, what are your solutions? Don't just keep telling me what the problem is. What are you going to do about it? And give me concrete, give me three things that are going to say, I'm going to do these three things, and that will start to address these problems. They need to demand from these candidates, how are you going to fix it? And what are you going to do? And then when they, then they'll look at their solutions, realize, is that practical? Is that realistic? Or do I even agree with that path that these people want to take when they become leaders of our city? Hmm. What about you, Robert? I mean, because you've helped us to get the 30,000-foot view that you're like, wait, wait, wait. This is not just Chicago. This is a national problem. You know, Marilyn Mosby, you know, from our prosecutors who are progressive to our mayors who are, who are progressive. And progressive just means humane. You know, manger up, not mansion down. Uh, they all get booted out of office mysteriously. They're indicted for things. And, and the police just keep on going and paying lawsuits uh, for all of their misdeeds. And that does not, I'm not indicting the good police. There's some great police officers. There are. But then you also have a lot of rot in the system that cannot be addressed, that cannot be rooted out because of organizations like FOP, Robert. Well, well, we have to look on the other side of the aisle for uh, for modeling. Uh, look at what conservatives do when they are pushing in a, uh, an agenda item. Uh, they have conferences, whether it's Talking Points USA or uh, Faith and Freedom Coalition, uh, et cetera, where they put together what the talking points are for all of these state and local officials nationwide. And because they all get on the same page, all of a sudden they'll be talking about critical race theory, and that happens in every single city. They'll talk about defund the police, and it happens in every single city. They'll have their funding uh, base put together that's funding every single race nationwide so that everybody's on the same page. Uh, they will have their uh, media apparatus in place so that each candidate that is on board with that agenda will have the same campaign materials. They'll have the uh, the, the same base of support. So, that, uh, so when someone's asking a question or bringing up an objection during the election, they can go into that database of pre, uh, pre-polled, pre-candidate Answers and be able to push uh, push that information out there. There has to be a national level coordination because once you realize that this is a national issue, a national problem, that these police unions are running black female mayors and prosecutors out out nationwide. Well, now that you realize it's a problem on the national level, you have to have a solution on the national level because otherwise you're just playing whack a mole city to city, uh, watching these uh, these progressive candidates go down without an uh, opportunity to execute their full agenda. So I think there has to be a national apparatus in place in order to uh, help that along. I think secondarily, uh, we always hear about, you know, it's always just a couple bad apples in the police department that do X, Y, and Z. Well, we need to start working with the good apples uh, and to find out what policies can be put in place so they can work synergistically uh, with the elected officials as opposed to adversarially. I understand that there's that thin blue line that they want to protect their own, but at the end of the day, everybody's priority has to be public safety and 
supporting the community, not simply trying to help hide the bad cops and uh, uh, mute and negate policies that will help to hold those people accountable. Hmm. Jeanette Wilson, I've got about 90 seconds for you. Well, well, I think we have to ask each candidate, we have to ask each candidate, what have you done if you've been in an elected office that has impact on public education, public safety, and uh, making sure that every ethnic group enjoys the benefits of supplier diversity with the city or the county where you may have served. And then finally, I guess I would ask each candidate, what what would you do to address the problems we now face in public education post-COVID? How do, we, how do you plan to get the children up to speed? And what are you going to do about the children who remain homeless, the students who are homeless? How are you going to correct that problem so that those children have a level playing field uh, to uh, progress in school, what are you going to do? Hmm. And how are you? Inv- and the, third, the final question I would say is, how are you going to involve the community that you are elected to serve, your 77 community areas, in the decision making in the city? Hmm. This is a big deal, Dwight McKee. Ninety seconds. Well, in Chicago, the police department is just an Irish annuity. And what you're looking at is you're in a situation where, for example, in in this city, they had, I think, 5,000 no-knock warrants where the police busted the door down in the black community. They had no, none, none in the white community. They got a situation here where you have um, all of these... um, these, these these racist police and who have over the years dominated everything having to do with, uh, with not public safety, but maintaining their own leverage and their own access to pension funds. And so we, we've been victim of that. They balance the budget off the poor here with street lights and boots, and then they give a tax break to the rich. And so then we get black mayors who comes in and compromise rather than trying to make real reform. And so I'm saying that in order for us, if we ever going to get back in power or be able to maintain power here, the next black mayor that we have or the next Hispanic mayor we have can operate uh, in this, this notion of I'm, I'm, I'm representing the status quo they have to do what happens when an Irish man gets in is he stacks the deck. We have now have to restack the deck just to balance the deck because we're so far behind after a hundred years of disenfranchisement and all the resources been taken from us and divided among other people. So we have to make a calculated effort to really bring the communities into public well, into government and into the trade. Well, everybody, I tell you what we have to do. Don't brown up injustice, don't blacken injustice, and don't whiten it either. Eliminate it. 
We need a mayor who's going to make, give everyone equal access to all of the wonderful opportunities that this city can provide. We need a mayor who wants everyone to be educated, academically, vocationally. All of your gifts, be they athletic or artistic, they should, you should have a path to actualization. All of that. Everyone should have fair and decent and affordable housing. If you work in McDonald's, you ought to be able to rent a place here. Yeah. So these are the things that, and you know what, you have the right to make that, to ask, to ask a question and to require that your public servant make it happen. But remember, voting is the end of the beginning, not the beginning of the end. Once you get someone in office, you've got to advocate, advocate, agitate, agitate, agitate. Thank you, Frederick Douglass. You must continue to do that. And fight for yourself. Reverend Jeanette Wilson, Esquire, brilliant, brilliant. Dwight McKee, brilliant sociologist. Kevin Lampy, brilliant, brilliant political organizer and strategist. 